Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rambling Alchemist. This time I thought I would tell you about my time climbing Ben Nevis, as it was one of my favourite mountains to climb, and I find the Scottish countryside particularly spectacular. So, off we go. Ben Nevis is the highest mountain in Britain, at 1,345 metres above sea level, and was in fact a volcano, although the top collapsed over 350 million years ago. I'm not sure how they know that, but I suppose some sciencey people must have figured it out. The name is a translation of a Gaelic word, and according to the internet, it either means mountain of heaven or venomous mountain, which seems to be miles apart in my opinion. My first trip up the venomous mountain of heaven was back in 2016, in August, just before heading to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I thought August would be a perfect time to climb because the weather would be nice. Was I ever wrong? I arrived at the bed and breakfast in Fort William in the pouring rain, but I was assured that the next day was going to be a lot better. I got up early, I was in the car park at the base of the mountain by 8 o'clock, and it wasn't raining, but it wasn't sunny either. In fact, it was quite grey and overcast. But since the weather forecast for the rest of the week seemed pretty dire, I thought I'd go for it anyway and see what happens. The most popular route up Ben Nevis is known as the Pony Track, or the Tourist Route, and starts at the Visitor Centre in Glen Nevis, just outside Fort William. So there I was, 8 o'clock, all kitted out in wet weather gear, just in case, just about to start the biggest climb I'd ever attempted. Although I'd chosen to walk alone, the car park was already full, so I wasn't going to be alone for long. I always find on longer walks and climbs, there's always somebody who'll talk to you, more so if you're on your own, I've noticed. The path doesn't go straight up, it sort of zigzags a bit and loops around the mountain partially. So although Ben Nevis is only just under a mile high, actually the route is a lot longer, and it was probably going to take me the best part of the day. The first part is long and traverses the base of the mountain, so it feels like you have, you've walked miles, but you don't actually seem to have gone very far up the mountain when you look back over the car park you're only a few meters above it it's quite disheartening and then i caught up with the man and his wife and her brother who were climbing the bend to celebrate their retirement it's amazing what people would do to celebrate not having to work again anyway we had a nice chat and then i left them to rest on the bench while i plowed on eventually you reach a halfway point which is marked by the halfway lake appropriately and then there's a little stream and a waterfall with a lot of rocks where it seems customary to sit and rest, eat lunch, or at least your elevens is. By this point, the sun is peeking through the clouds and the rain has held off. So I was starting to feel quite warm. It was pleasant to sit there and rest and chat to the other hikers. It wasn't long before the people I met caught up with me too. And we chatted a bit more before I left them for the next stage. As I've said, walkers are really friendly people. The second half of the climb is less steep and the path is much more of a zigzag especially where parts of it have fallen away and a new path has been made. The paths on the mountain are maintained by donations, lottery funding and local volunteers, so it's a huge job to keep the path in good condition. About halfway up the second half of the mountain, you reach a turn in the path and a ridge of sorts. As you look back, you should be able to see all the way down to Fort William below, except when it's misty, which is pretty much all of the time, and today was no exception. I was well and truly in the clouds at this point and glad of my waterproofs, but I did see something quite spectacular. As I looked down through the clouds, they parted slightly and I was able to see part of the town below. But as the whole scene was surrounded by mist, it looked like the town was floating in the air. It was quite bizarre to look at. It only lasted an instant as the clouds sort of moved back and, and the mist set in again. It reminded me of Brigadoon, the village that only appears every hundred years. Fortunately, Fort William isn't like that because I'd left my car there. The last part of the climb levels out. And as you aren't near the edge and the mist is heavy, it looked to me like I was walking into nowhere. People kept emerging from the fog, telling me I only had a couple more days to go. People are funny. I'd obviously slowed a bit at this point, because the people I'd met a couple of times before caught up with me. 
and we walked up to the summit together. It made it seem more like we were intrepid explorers heading into the unknown. When you arrive at the summit, it's a bit bleak. It's very windy and really cold. Unlike Snowden, there isn't a cafe at the top to greet you. Just the ruins of an old observatory. The observatory was built in 1883 and served as a weather station for around 20 years, where it was manned 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For a brief period, there was even a small hotel and a restaurant there, but eventually funding ran out and the whole thing was closed down. Now all there is left is a few walls standing in the ruins. But these do provide ideal shelter from the wind and the cold while you eat your lunch, as long as you remember to take them with you. After half an hour of eating, chatting and half freezing, I got up and said my goodbyes and began the descent. With a walk like that, it's important not to sit still for too long, especially in the cold, or you'll just end up with stiff joints and struggle to move. The walk down seemed easier, but I think having achieved Britain's highest mountain, you feel a bit elated that and that sort of stays with you for a while. So in no time I was back at the halfway point, resting by the stream. Plenty of hikers will tell you to not rest for too long and to keep pushing onwards. To be honest, I prefer to take my time and just take in the scenery. I don't see the point in climbing a mountain if you didn't take in the view a few times. I'd like to say the view from the summit was incredible, but it was all low cloud and mist, so actually all I could see was lots of nothing. But the view from the halfway point was much better, and you could see a fair distance. You're supposed to be able to see Northern Ireland from the summit of Ben Nevis. Maybe another time. The last part of the descent was probably the most difficult, because at this point you start to get tired. And as I know it's going up, you do tend to walk quite a long way without really going down very far. And this is the time when your posture starts to suffer, and it's important to be aware of this. I've spoken a few times around the internet about how important correct posture is, and why we should take care in the way we sit, stand, walk. It's important to stay upright, despite the overwhelming urge to lean forward, especially when it's windy or raining or cold. But all that will do is leave you with stiff, uncomfortable joints and eventually in pain. You should keep your eyes forward and your chin up, although when you're hiking, obviously, you've got to watch where you're walking to. So it's a delicate balance. Try to relax your shoulders. Even push them back occasionally, which forces you to straighten up. Suck in your stomach too. That engages your abdominal muscles and helps you to stay upright and not hunch over. Now, obviously, I think walking is one of the best forms of exercising. But core strength exercises are really important. If you're going to be walking longer distances, your core is how you control your posture, how you stay upright. And there's a lot more about that in my blog if you look around. So I finally reached the car park and the visitor centre, which obviously was closed. And it only just taken me eight hours, I think. As I said, plenty of people like to do the whole thing really quickly, under six hours. But I find that you miss out on so much if you try to rush it. Obviously, if you're doing the three pinks challenge, there are time restraints and you have to do it quick, as quickly as you can. But if it's your only a climb of the day, take your time. I completed my usual stretching routines in the car park, working on my calves and back muscles, quads, because it's easy to forget that and stretching after a workout is really important. I made it back to the B&B in time for a shower and a change before heading into Fort William itself for a well-deserved curry and a few pints. Because, well, I was on holiday after all. Unfortunately, by this time, the rain was coming down pretty heavy and it remained like that for the next few days. So I was glad I climbed when I did, even if I did have to do it in the mist and low cloud. I've been asked several times about the best thing to do the day after a long walk or a climb. My advice would always be to walk again. However good your stretching routine is, you're still going to feel some discomfort the next day. But the best course of action is movement. A sports massage would be good, obviously, but then I would say that because, you know, um, but that's not always possible. So the best thing is stretching and moving. After my Ben Nevis climb, I headed out around the town the following morning and uh, drove out to the Glenfinnan Viaduct to watch the steam train, 
which is an odd thing. The car park fills up with people, the steam train goes over the viaduct, then everyone leaves. That's stories, tourists for you. It's actually the viaducts they use in the Harry Potter films, and the steam train is the Hogwarts Express. So it's not like we just stood and watched a train go along a track miles away. But it gave me an opportunity to walk, and even if it was raining again. Across the road from the visitor centre is the Glenfinnan Monument, which commemorates the clansmen who lost their lives fighting for Bonnie Prince Charlie back in the 18th century. And there's a visitor centre and a cafe, which is always good when it's raining. So that was my first trip up Ben Nevis, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's somewhere I would go more often if it wasn't so far away from me. But if you ever get the chance, it's definitely worth the journey. Now for an update on my Walk a Thousand Miles challenge. I'm currently in Weymouth, virtually. I've just passed the Sea Life Centre, and I'm now on the seafront. A couple of years ago, myself and some friends did part of the Jurassic Coast path, starting from Poole and ending in Weymouth. And I'm actually not far from where that walk ended. Weymouth has a bit of a checkered past, as it's thought that back in 1348, this is where the Black Death arrived in England from France, via some merchant ships. There's even a plaque on the wall near the harbour. It's also the port where a lot of the boats left England for the D-Day landings during the Second World War. On a lighter note, the poet and novelist Thomas Hardy lived in Weymouth for a while, and often visited later in life. As did King George III, although obviously not at the same time. I'm heading inland for the next bit of my journey, and my last visit to the uh, south coast will be at Lulworth Cove, and then I'll be making a move inland and directly north for quite a long time. I've enjoyed looking at the scenery along the coast, even if I am only looking at it on a virtual map. And it's been fun looking up facts about places I've been visiting, even if some of them have been a bit weird. Next time, I should be well away from the seaside and heading over the fields and through some towns, so we'll see what that brings. Until then, stay safe. Thank you for listening to The Rambling Alchemist. For more information and to follow me on social media and read my blog, head over to www.stuartlevel.co.uk.